It's been days, but it feels like years. How are you doing on this Friday evening, December 17th, the year of our Lord, 2021? Yes, I love uh, working in the date just so people know exactly when we're recording. Just in the event that uh, an entire team has a game canceled and we don't have this news in at this time, I like putting the date out there. It is going wonderfully this week. I'm glad that we waited later on in the week, not just because, you know, this is just how the timing worked out, but if we had recorded on Wednesday, we would have missed Urban Meyer getting fired. We would have missed the fact that three NFL teams have COVID outbreaks and their games have been moved at this point. I I think everything moving around has worked in our favor here. So I am doing quite fantastic here on this late Friday evening and where you are headed towards Saturday morning. Yeah, I had a little mini vacation myself. So it's time to snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes Urban Meyer's job. That's reality. Well yes. played there. By the way, that song came out when I was three years old. Fun three fact. Years that old. makes people feel So old. you basically grew up on Eminem. It's kind of a funny sure. thing to think about. Literally, yeah, literally grew up. <laughs> Urban Meyer out. Hundreds of seemingly players between the NBA and NFL out. Kyrie Irving back in. That just happened. <laughs> I'm actually rocking I a UT shirt. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm rocking a UT shirt. Quinn Ewers apparently is here in Austin. So that's cool. It's been a crazy week since the last time we hit this record button. I don't even know where to dive into first. Well, we can start off by hitting a horns down for you trying to sneak Texas Longhorns content in here. Okay, because... fair enough. Hey, you know, we've hit a little bit of a niche there. So I kind of have to give a little bit of a shout out to any Longhorns, anyone from the ATX listening, anyone from the 512 repping that burnt orange that kind of wants a little bit of a quick take just gotta say casey thompson just saw he entered the transfer portal today obviously hudson card i mentioned it many a times isn't it hudson card big booty ass cheeks as we've referred to many times on this podcast many times I don't know much about him, but I do know that he was a high-level recruit coming out of high school. He's from the area, and I got to say, if Sark, you want to turn around this team quick, a dynamic quarterback, certainly a good way to do it. This is a good place to do it. I think you should claim the niche at this point. Slump Buster Podcast, one of the premier Texas Longhorn podcasts. I think you can claim this considering that we've had hundreds of thousands of YouTube views on your pain and suffering of being a Longhorns fan this year. I think (laughs) you should claim your right to being one of the premier Longhorns podcasts. I got to tell you, in a way, it's a bittersweet pill to think about that the YouTube algorithm almost rewards the losses more than the victories. I run a Niners channel. I tell you every time the Niners lose and I have to react to that one, do a post game there, those videos just pop off. But if we win, eh, you know, modest views, it's okay. But yeah, those Longhorns videos, certainly, I I think it's just the collective population just coming in and see the tears of Longhorns Nation here. But rest assured, you have a supporter here. We're happy to talk Longhorns content when it's relevant and certainly again a top level recruit like Quinn Ewers. What I liked Arch Manning, yes, but I will take Ewers. Hopefully he pans out. If he's better than Sam Allinger and he's somewhat close to Colt McCoy, that's a win in my book at this point. Yeah, because Texas hasn't had a, one of those quarterbacks since then. It's been a decade since they've had a even fringe NFL quarterback because Colt McCoy was about 12 years ago now. That Sam Bradford Colt McCoy game was one of my favorite college football games ever. And that was when I was like seven years old. Well, I guess you could say Sam Allinger's a fringe NFL quarterback because he is a backup quarterback if you consider that a fringe I mean he's not a practice squad guy so there's at least that beat fair up enough Jake. he did win a Jacob Easton. Is, he, is he still on the Colts I, I knew I think Easton he beat out Easton 
I think you're right. I just, I forgot that he was still on the Colts because I knew Eason was gone, but I thought both of them got removed also and that they had someone else. No, he is the backup. So we are one Carson Wentz double ankle fracture away from seeing Sam Ellinger take over the eight and five Indianapolis Colts. He did have a little bit of fight in him in the preseason. I think the thing about Sam, I think he can scrap for you, but certainly he's that type of backup that you don't want him starting any more than like a spot start here or there. So hopefully Carson Wentz doesn't have any more ankle sprains. It's honestly amazing how well Carson Wentz has played considering he entered the year with two sprained ankles. Could just sprain one, literally on two hobbled ankles. Uh, that just tells you the type of career that Carson Wentz has had. To this it's point. called the Carson Wentz experience. Colts fan, I, I've made this joke many times on the podcast over on Take It Easy. Uh, I've made this joke many times before that Colts fans went through trauma and heartbreak and grief. Jacoby Brissett was their rebound. It was the person they could lean on. They met a nice Philip Rivers and it was their way of working back through the heartbreak and they thought they had recovered and then they jumped right into the Carson Wentz experience and it's just tormenting Colts fans week after week to have to live through the Carson Wentz experience because no one should ever have to live through the Carson Wentz experience with that as their quarterback. There's worse experiences there. There's certainly the Urban Meyer experience as Jacksonville had to deal with. Now here's my thing on this one as we kick it to the next topic. Definitely the uh, Josh Lambeau thing was the most damning thing that came out in the recent week. And obviously, oh, I just got it. Took me a second. You said kick it to the next topic. Get it? Because Urban Meyer kicked (laughs) Josh Lambeau. I get it now. Exactly. And he's a kicker too. So it's even better. You know, I imagine what he did to the long snapper. I've been thinking about that one. You know, we joked around about it in our group chat here. I know that every NFL fan in their mind has almost wanted to tell their kicker, make the fucking kick dipshit. And to hear it happen, yes, there, there's certain views, certain like prisms you could look at it through. I'm kind of like wondering the context. I mean, there's multiple different ways I could see it taking place because I'm like wondering, did he literally go up to him and just like literally hard kick? Like I'm talking one of those karate kick, like Chuck Norris roundhouses to the back According of the According to Josh Lambeau in the Tampa Bay Times, he said it was about a five out of 10 kick. About five, five out, out of 10. 10. Okay. You know, I, I can't rate his experience. You know, if he's saying it's a five out of 10, I have to just, go off it's a five out of ten i'm also in my mind like i'm thinking like could i see a situation in which a coach is going up to him because he kept him throughout the preseason too because that wasn't like the final point before josh lambo got cut if i'm not wrong either yeah i'm thinking like is it like come on make your fucking kids dipshit and then just kind of like you know the coach's pat on the ass type thing but Certainly Urban's got a lot of incidents that he's racked up over his short career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, a 2-11 and record, the girl at the bar, the Tim Tebow signing, the Iowa strength coach. There was a lot of things that just kind of piled up there. The benching My, James Robinson. The benching the, James Robinson. The against Tom Pelissero like, story where mm-hmm. he got into a fight with J, uh, Marvin Jones in practice. And then when, when Jay Glazer asked Urban Meyer about it, he just didn't even deny it. He was like, yeah, that totally happened. I think Marvin Robinson. Jones even played that one off though. Like Marvin mm-hmm. Jones kind of said it wasn't as big as it got, but I'm sure with everything just added up, it just piles on more than anything. The one thing I will say about the urban thing, and I've expressed this to you before, is it did feel like there were just so many people actively rooting for it from day one. And I feel as so when you just have so many people like leaning in one direction, so many people zigging, it almost wants to make you zag in a way. 
Because I was like thinking about it, like I kind of wanted to see a second year of this. I kind of want to see if they could turn it around, if this was just like growing pains. I know it's a lot, but I expected a lot. This is Jacksonville. This is a team that literally had one win last year. It was the first game of the season, which kind of threw off my 0-16 prediction. And they had that, of course, crazy losing streak there that went up to like 20 games. It's not like we're talking about him taking over a successful franchise. It's not like we're talking about him going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, he was going into a dumpster fire. Did he make it worse i mean technically record wise you could say they're better than last year right and you know you've expressed this view i know there was the story too that came out that he was telling his coaches which you could say he hired them defend your resume you've expressed on this podcast multiple times too like how does daryl bevel still have a job <laughs> he actually asked not him, only that he's now the interim head coach after urban meyer got fired which is perfect because this is the second year in a row that daryl bevel is spending his december as an interim coach for a flopping team because remember, he replaced Matt Patricia last year in Detroit. Second year in a row for Daryl Bevel. I hope this is the last time he is ever employed in the NFL so that we don't have to pretend Daryl Bevel is actually good at coordinating. He just happened to be the coordinator of the Seahawks team that had the Legion of Boom. All of that to say, Urban Meyer was not fired because of the losing. The losing didn't help his case, but Urban Meyer was fired because he had so many embarrassing moments and tested the patience of the ownership, which by the way, gave Urban Meyer the illusion that he had the total authority and control over the organization the way he did over college teams and college players that don't actually have power. They've, they've gotten more power with name, image, and likeness and with the transfer portal, but college players don't have any power compared to the absolute authority of their coaches. In the Tom Pelissero story where they were talking about uh, Marvin Jones and James Robinson and Trevor Lawrence basically saying we're just tired of him. In that story, something that was interesting was that they said Shad Khan since Urban Meyer had retired at Ohio State and for people not with video, I put retired in air quotes because that was Ohio State tried to fire him after the Zach Smith thing. It was too unpopular so they compromised on him finishing the season and then leaving. After that, Shad Khan had been waiting three years for the opportunity to hire Urban Meyer and he didn't want this experience to end as quickly as it did. Like you said, he was going to come back for a second year until about three weeks ago. Three or four weeks ago, yes, they were losing, but they were going to bring Urban Meyer back for a second year if they forced him to fire people on his assistant coaching staff. What put it over the top was Trevor Lawrence coming out against Urban Meyer, the kicking story, and the report by Tom Pelissero that just started all the embarrassment, not to mention the fact that they've scored seven points in the month of December. It's currently December 18th. They've scored seven total points in the month of December. All of that put it over the edge for Urban Meyer. And while I agree with you that my inner anarchist just wants to watch the world burn sometimes in Jacksonville and see this Urban Meyer story continue, I really don't want this to stunt the development of Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is really, really good at football. We've seen it this year in glimpses, but the Jaguars are just so piss poor on talent that they just can't do anything for Trevor Lawrence. And see, that was why even with the chaos and even with all the political mishaps that Urban Meyer has had in his time with Jacksonville, I kind of wanted to at least give a chance to make this work because even if they have dysfunction in the first year, we've seen coaches and quarterbacks eventually get it together. Given time, given time to mesh, people always refer to Jimmy Johnson's first year out there in Dallas. The question was the buy-in from the players and 
yeah, there's a lot of veterans with pride out there. And certainly there was a lot of assistant coaches with pride, whether it was entirely players that were the leaks, whether it was assistant coaches that were the leaks, there's a lot of people that just wanted to sabotage this thing from the start and were happy to see this crash and burn the way it did. Like I said, I wanted to see it work, but because like you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence is a big reason I want to see it work because I like the kid's college career. He has that Andrew Luck level of talent that we always talk about, that Peyton Manning level of talent, that John Alway level of talent. And it'd be a shame to see it go to waste. At this current point in time, he has more interceptions than he has touchdowns. So I could understand the urgency in trying to get someone there. And my my thing too now is who's taking that job? Who are we getting in there that's going to be like a legitimate upgrade? Is it just going to be a next best offensive coordinator type thing? I will throw out the same exact candidates I had last year for the Jacksonville Jaguars when we were talking about them getting Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick around this exact same time. enemy is the head coach quarterbacks coach of the Chiefs as the offensive coordinator. I I know like Andy Reid is ultimately the de facto guy in Kansas City in terms of being the greatest offensive mind in the history of football. I would just take that and move it over to Jacksonville because even if you don't run the Chiefs offense and even if you don't have the same weapons that the Chiefs offense has, I think it's a good start in just trying to play that kind of football and have that kind of base from Kansas City. I don't know how you fill out the rest of your staff. And I don't even know really, I assume Jacksonville is going to be a desirable job relative to the other jobs that are available. Cause this is going to be a really bad year for head coaching openings. Like the Raiders job will be okay. Pretty good. The bears job, not super desirable. After that, there's not a lot of jobs that are going to open up. I'm thinking the Broncos, if they decide that new GM wants to hire their own coach, but that would kind of require them to fall apart. Minnesota is a pretty loyal place. Minnesota probably keeps Zimmer another season, but it's kind of like going to be a lame duck year next year. But if Minnesota gets it, that job's probably better than Jacksonville. Uh, it looks like Houston's going to keep David Cully for another year. The Giants should fire Joe Judge, but it looks like they're going to keep Joe Judge for another year. Like Dallas. it's just... Dallas, uh, Dallas is, they're going to win too many games this year to fire Mike McCarthy. Although I agree that Mike McCarthy like has just been the the luckiest coach in inheriting Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott like that. I I do think McCarthy probably stays another year. It's just, I think because of that, the Jaguars job is simply more desirable for the exact same reason Urban Meyer took it over the University of Texas job last year, which is still is a whole roster rebuild here because this team is just not talented enough to compete with other teams Um, no matter how much of a leap that Trevor Lawrence takes next year it's going to take a good offensive lineman it's going to take like a dynamic wide receiver there's a few pieces that are obvious it's going to take any talent on defense literally any talent on defense can you anybody they they got the good Josh Allen let's not forget here yes other than Miles Jack name another player on that defense other than Miles Jack okay so I mentioned Josh Allen ah Caleb on chasing. Okay. Yeah, sure. That, so this is the other part that, that is making this tough for them is that when I looked at the jets, like the jets, they're not great. They're not giving Zach Wilson much, much of a chance to succeed, but the jets have currently two top 10 picks in the eighth most cap space in the NFL this off season. Jaguars have the 10th most cap space next year and only one pick because the Jalen Ramsey trade has now become the equivalent of trading Jalen Ramsey for Clavon Chason, who looks like a pretty big bust and Travis Etienne, and the two losing seasons that you get for trading Jalen Ramsey. Cause your team is going to be terrible when you trade Jalen Ramsey 
Ramsey. You got CJ Henderson no longer on the team and Trevor Lawrence. So for all of your losing, you walk away with just Trevor Lawrence and a totally terrible roster that has had the worst record in the NFL since they were literally eight minutes away from making the Super Bowl. I will tell you, I do like the possibilities Byron Lethwich that's been floated out there only because he's had success as a Jacksonville quarterback back in the mid 2000s. So it'd be one of those fun coming home type stories. The only thing I have a problem with when it comes to trying to evaluate Leftwich is Tom Brady's there. You're going to be good. Tom Brady's his own coach. So yeah, it's a little no, bit people, people forget Byron Leftwich. People thought Byron Leftwich was never going to be a coordinator again after he replaced Mike McCoy with the Josh Rosen Arizona Cardinals. Like the fact that he's rehabbed his image so quickly by being in Tampa has been a definite turnaround for him. I don't know what makes a good head coach in the NFL. I don't know how the hirings work. If you would have told me like Sean McVay was going to be the coach of the Rams, I, I at the time I'm like, I've never heard of this guy. I have no idea if that's going to be good or not. Like, I just don't know how well, to do hiring. Well, there's two schools of thoughts here, right? One that I think I would lean for if I'm the owner of an NFL team today, the one I probably lean towards is I want to play caller. And I only want an offensive play caller simply because I don't have to replace my OC every year. And I think that's a very powerful thing to have to do, especially when I have a young quarterback that I want to develop over multiple years. Because as a Niners fan, I got to see firsthand Alex Smith have to have six different offensive coordinators in six years. And Alex Smith in his like E60 documentary talked about how dysfunctional that was. You'll get someone like Marcus Mariota, who I think had like seven coordinators in just that same amount of time. I don't want to stunt my quarterback's growth. That's why I think it's almost impossible to want to go defensively at head coach. That's why I don't even like what Robert Sala and the Jets did, like coming to an agreement. Like I like Robert Sala, but honestly, as a Niners fan, I, I thought he was a little bit overrated, to be honest. That, that's they just my personal LaFleur, thought on though. it. They, they did, did get, get LaFleur, LaFleur, and that was a big steal from the Niners coaching staff to take Matt LaFleur's little brother there. But that still is a rookie offensive coordinator that if LaFleur has any success, he could just take off at any second. And then it's up to Sala to find that next guy to constantly keep replacing, keep replacing. And that could stunt Zach Wilson's development there. And then the alternative to my option to gain that offensive mind, that offensive play caller, is the CEO type. And that's what Jacksonville tried to do. That's what they tried to do when they went out there and got Urban Meyer. They thought he could have been their CEO type head coach. All of John Harbaugh, who's not a play caller. All of Mike Tomlin, who's not a play caller. Her and man unfortunately, Campbell. yeah. And unfortunately, you have to just be so buttoned up if you're going to be a CEO type head coach that you just can't leave any margin for error like Urban did. He exposed his neck, and people are more than happy to bite down on it and go for the kill. There is one fun rumor that has been floated, and we kind of brushed by this last week. Dabo Sweeney. Can Jacksonville even? be tempted by that notion oh Dabo's too good for that job he's too good for that you know obviously Trevor Lawrence yeah. Dabo brings and that Travis family ETN. mentality that Travis we stay ETN. together the fact that he didn't lose his offensive coordinator Tony Elliott Venables for years he had those guys together can he bring like a staff that he could just keep I know it's the NFL and you build coaching staffs to lose coaching staffs but if he was able to keep a solid base of guys maybe that would be his key to success I think it's just harder to do in the NFL because when money is involved Anyone could leave at any time, particularly the money we're talking about with the NFL. And if you have any success here, and you, let's say you brought a college staff, they'd probably be interested in college head coaching jobs. Obviously, we saw with Venables taking the Oklahoma job. We saw with Elliott taking the Virginia job. Uh, that's just one of those fun rumors. This whole Urban Meyer thing definitely brings up a list of conspiracy theories. And I think as we talk about conspiracy theories, it's only appropriate that we bring up in our next topic, Kyrie Irving and his return to the 
Brooklyn Nets locker room. Let's do that. Yeah, I'm just trying to work in some unique transitions here. I, I think conspiracy theory, I can't go to Alex Jones with it. I just don't have the ability to yell out of my I think it would be funny, though, if Alex Jones was like talking about Davo Swinney going to the Jaguars. I feel that would be a, that would be a more interesting. If there was like, a sports version of Alex Jones, I think would definitely be a market to corner there, right? Isn't that what Skip Bayless kind of is? You know... When you say it that way, you know, there's a whole generation that won't believe me when I tell you Stephen A. Smith and Skip had a show. The fact that there's a generation that will never know that those two personalities, the highest paid guy at Fox and the highest paid guy at ESPN, were on the same show together, feeling all kinds of crazy. With that said, if anyone's listening, hey, I don't mind working out first take. Come on, hey, you know, it's all our generation. <laughs> most people don't know Skip Bayless used to be a journalist. He used to be a reporter. Skip Bayless wrote for the, I think it was the, the Dallas Times or Dallas Morning News news or something like that like skip bayless used to be a reporter back in the 90s and a long, 80s long time ago yeah and a dawn before time yeah fun fact about skip bayless as a reporter troy aikman uh when he was playing for the cowboys actually went to his agent and said how much money would it cost me to punch skip bayless in the face shock uh, always talks about punching skip bayless too on tv yep. or tnt broadcast how many people in the pros like if you had just put a percentage on it would love a free punch at skip bayless 18 percent 18 percent. okay you're leaning on the pacifism I, side of things i'm, I'm, I'm not saying sure like it's legal not sure if, like i'm, I'm not talking sure like mutual Gabe combat Vincent here. has much of a beef with skip bayless i think i'm just doing the nba as a whole i'm not sure like cole anthony or maritz wagner really have beef with with skip bayless but maybe they would enjoy giving him a good punch too you know one of my idols growing up and why i've wanted to do this was jim rome and i don't know if you remember or have seen the highlight of someone actually going out of their way to want to punch Jim Rome in the face. I've seen that video. It's really good. Yeah. 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 Was the name Chris something or whatever? He was, or... was a quarterback back in the 90s. With the Rams and he, had... he kind of got like happy feet and was just taking sacks. He was scared of guys and uh, Jim Everett. Jim Everett, Chris right. Everett, who was a tennis player, and that's what set him off. Still one of the greatest headlines ever. Like, I don't know if I would want to get to the point where an athlete would want to punch me, but it would almost feel like an honor. It feels like a rite of passage there. <laughs> There's also a video somewhere of Vince McMahon being about three seconds away from punching Bob Costas, if you want to find that somewhere on the internet. It was in that XFL documentary that came out a while ago. Or Mike Tyson, he almost punched a guy in like Canada Morning News one time. Yep, no, there, there, there are moments like that all over the place place uh yeah anyways so uh Kyrie Irving you yeah. talk about <laughs> Kyrie Irving a little let's bit? talk about that yeah I mean so we have so many players who can't play uh due to COVID now but Kyrie Irving may finally have his opportunity to play again Let's talk about a conspiracy theory here. What are the odds? This was the Brooklyn Nets plan all along. Sit Kyrie Irving out half a season. You know, this is a guy who can't stay healthy. He needs his rest. We like to load manage. Let's do it in a creative way. Let's keep him ready for the playoffs. Let's keep him fresh. Let's keep him fresh mentally because we know this is a guy that could just dip out of nowhere. And bonus, he only gets to play road games. So even less games that we have to keep Kyrie Irving on the court. In the spirit of journalistic credibility, I'm going to say zero on this one because of all the evidence we have to suggest that the Brooklyn Nets for the past two months were looking around. And by the way, not just the Brooklyn Nets, also Kevin Durant were looking around and they were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> With all the evidence to suggest that. Every just... single press conference. Yes, I would occasionally turn into a Brooklyn Nets press conference. And what's the first question they're going to ask? What, what's new with Kyrie? How's Kyrie doing? What's he doing? Um, you could tell that, yeah, Kevin Durant, James Harden, all of them were just so fed up with it. James Harden's just in his own universe. Like James Harden just happens to be there 
there. He's just yeah. like, I don't know. James Harden doesn't have the internet. Like this is a thing. Apparently he just doesn't own the internet. <laughs> and so James Harden is just, he's in his own world. He's just like, I don't know. I just like being here. I like scoring 25 a night. My teammates are cool. I'm just like, I'm just, yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about it from this perspective here. So obviously you did a power rankings update here and you had the Brooklyn Nets at three with Kyrie Irving back in the lineup. How do they stack up against the Warriors and Suns today? In the preseason rankings I had, remember, I said that the Nets were the number one team in the league, even without Kyrie Irving. So adding Kyrie Irving still makes me feel good that Brooklyn can beat any of those teams. Um, the Warriors are better than I thought. Phoenix is better than I thought. Uh, I know Utah is very good right now, but you know how we have the principle yeah. stand that Utah lives to break your heart. That's what yeah. they live to do yeah. as a franchise. It's, it's the same principle as the Raiders, where just whenever you you think the Raiders are about to be good, you just know they're not. Utah's good. It's just, Utah, they, can they be great? When you think Utah just, can they're be They're not great. allowed to be great. They're not allowed to be great. They're, they're Utah. When you think they're going to be great, Terrence Mann is going to score 40 points on you. Like, it's just on principle. So Brooklyn, I think regardless, is still the number one team in the Eastern Conference. So that should get them to the finals with or without Kyrie Irving, or at least a really fun matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks. The thing I find interesting with Kyrie Irving, apart from just the how does it affect the Brooklyn Nets, is I thought Brooklyn was saying that he is not allowed to be a part-time player. And right. now the reversing course on this is confusing because did they just try and call his bluff? Did they just say, we're going to proceed and eventually you're going to come in? Did they just fold on the Kyrie Irving situation? I don't really know what's happening here. You're playing well without him. So it does kind of seem like you folded. It's confusing, but the part about playing well is different because the Brooklyn Nets are undoubtedly better with Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie Irving is one of the 20 to 25 best players in all of the NBA. Like they are undoubtedly better at basketball with Kyrie Irving in the lineup. What makes this interesting is this was supposed to be a principal stand for the Brooklyn Nets and the pivot makes me feel like they folded as an organization which think about the power play that Kyrie Irving just made on that team like Kyrie Irving said I'm going to play while unvaccinated they said you're not going to play they tried to trade him and he said I will retire if you trade me this is and not the first time he's done that though too right because during the James Harden trade remember when he went missing for a week it was almost like him solidifying his spot on the roster and it worked like he got everything he wanted he's still unvaccinated he's still going to play part-time as a Brooklyn net it worked that's the most incredible part of this is that Kyrie Irving used every ounce of leverage that he had it was sacrificing his reputation willingness to make it ugly with the organization and to stand on principle on vaccination oh also I almost forgot be used by people on the right as a propaganda tool and even still he was willing to do all that and he made the Brooklyn Nets fold and I find that to be incredibly powerful that Kyrie Irving with all the leverage that he had was able to make them fold that's so fascinating like Kyrie Irving is a star that has the power to make entire organizations fold on their principal stands and allow him to come back and play yeah no it, it is like a fascinating case study just what he's been able to do between that example I noted there and that what's going on this season how he's just been able to 
basically get an NBA franchise to bend to his will. Now, as a fan with the NFL, I think I lean pro management in this case. I know it's very popular to lean pro labor and lean pro player, but when it comes to like the fan experience and just enjoying the product on the field, I like the ability for the franchise tag, stuff like that, stuff that kind of like keeps teams together. But it's interesting in the NBA that we get all this extra added chaos sometimes with how much control that players have taken. And Kyrie, when you talk about like slippery slope type arguments, we talk about how it just seems like the floodgates were opened up whenever the Miami Heat started in 2013. And ever since then, obviously players could leave on a will. They could sign a six-year deal and be gone the next day. I wonder how this impacts the NBA moving forward. I feel like we're just, you you don't even sign like a long-term deal. You pretty much sign day contracts at this point. I think management would prefer that. Now they are going to get out on the Kyrie Irving situation, but the, the part that I think is important to note there is if you are one of the star players in the NBA, and if you are one of the star players in the NFL, this is very much the same point is specifically for the star players of the sport, people who have legitimate leverage, you can leave whenever you want, if you're willing to make it ugly. And part of making it ugly is that fans are probably going to turn against you. You articulated it with the NFL, like the voice of the fans overwhelmingly leans pro management. And a lot of that has to do with, with propaganda that owners have put out over 30 and 40 years. You cheer for the the laundry. You're not cheering for the name on the laundry. Yes, exactly. Like the, the conversation around the strike, it's an argue, it's a fight between billionaires and millionaires. And when you really think about it, it's like, wow, that's like a 2000 to one fight in favor of the billionaires. But when you're making 20,000, it's just hard to be even like, put yourself on that same level. Of course. But by making it like we like we were talking about before, an argument of management versus labor, it makes it a little bit easier to understand this because everyone has management versus labor. You're labor. I'm labor. We're always fighting management. Like this is, it makes it easier to quantify in that way. It's why I always overwhelmingly lean pro labor. The part that I found fascinating from this story specifically is, of course, Kevin Durant has that leverage. Kevin Durant makes whatever team he plays for a championship contender just because Kevin Durant plays for them. In the three games since all of this has started, Kevin Durant's averaging 39 and a half points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists in the last week for the Brooklyn Nets. Like, Kevin Durant makes you great. We know Kevin Durant has that leverage. We know LeBron has that leverage. We know Joel Embiid has that leverage, that Giannis has that leverage. I did not think Kyrie Irving had that level of leverage. And he used every outlet he had and every ounce of leverage that he had. And the fact that it worked and he got the organization to fold is really incredible. Now, Kyrie Irving is also a free agent at the end of this year. And Brooklyn has already put publicly that they won't re-sign him. If Kevin Durant tells them to re-sign them, are you sure that they won't re-sign Kyrie Irving? I guess it's going to come down to this question. Well, two questions, actually, because part of this, I kind of wonder, in the Brooklyn Nets' minds, in their office's minds, do they think that New York is going to loosen up on this COVID restriction at any point, this vaccination restriction? And based off what I've heard in the actual news cycle, I don't see it. It doesn't seem like a likely outcome based off now we're hearing about stuff like the Omicron variant. I'm sure we're going to be on the Zeta, oh. Eta, whatever variant by the time. Over here in yeah. California, they just imposed universal mask mandates just the other day for the state. And yeah, see, so it's moving in the other direction. 
And one thing that we always kind of like here, obviously we hear a lot of California headlines. We hear a lot of New York headlines. California, a lot of times mirrors what's happening in New York and New York a lot of times mirrors what's happening in California. If California is tightening their belt, then you have to think that New York might eventually tighten their belt even further, which means that Kyrie Irving is still back to the square one position of not playing any of these home games, regardless of how far the Nets make it into the playoffs. And then that brings up that question of how far do the Nets make it in the playoffs? Yes, you have stated it here and it's hard to disagree, but the Nets are damn good. The Nets can win the Eastern Conference with just Kevin Durant and James Harden. They still have to go through the Bucks, and we saw in that series last year, granted, Harden was a little hobbled, Harden was a little out of shape, and I know a lot of mainstream media cycles have talked about the demise of James Harden in recent weeks as well, but you could feel the impact of not having Kyrie on the court. That was definitely one of the things, in particular in that Bucks series, because when they had Kyrie, they were blowing out the Bucks in those early games there. Mm-hmm. Can you advance to the finals and can you win the finals if you don't have Kyrie for obviously we're assuming they're going to have home court advantage in most of them so you're probably not going to have him for at least three games in that series and then hypothetically let's say you face the Warriors now I know the Warriors obviously have a similar mandate going on too if that happens then do you just not have Kyrie for a whole series I think Brooklyn's banking on he's not going to skip the playoffs that's where their leverage is at at this point we'll fold here but there's no way he's going to do it at that point maybe they'll be wrong We've, they'd be pretty wrong so far about all of this and you almost cheer for phoenix a little extra at that point with that possibility if you're if you're brooklyn yeah you probably cheer for phoenix or you cheer for the lakers but at the same time remember last year that even with kevin durant in i think it was game five james harden was hurt and he scored i think it was like oh for 10 from three so they were literally worse with james harden than james harden like playing yeah. through injury and it came that, down to kevin durant's monster that's what foot. i was gonna say his if monster kevin durant foot, his is, french baguette looking foot if kevin durant's shoe size was two sizes smaller, they win without James Harden or Kyrie Irving against a Milwaukee team that had Giannis dropping 40-point triple-doubles in Game 7, Chris Middleton putting up 20 points, Drew Holiday just being a defensive guy like he did in the finals against Chris Paul. Kevin Durant still single-handedly would have beat them. It's amazing how good Brooklyn is in that fact, which is why, like, of course they're better with Kyrie Irving than without Kyrie Irving. The argument on the other side is just people trying to ascertain a basketball conversation. It's like, they're better off without it. No, Kyrie Irving's one of the 20 best players in the NBA. If you put him on the court, they're undoubtedly better with Kyrie Irving than with nothing at all. What's interesting about this, or at least for me, is that the macro conversation about Kyrie Irving used all of his leverage and it actually worked. It actually got him what he was looking for. That's kind of incredible. I always think about that saying, your skill set or your assets have to be more than your problems, your, your liabilities. It's amazing because at this point, I've questioned if Kyrie Irving is still that player. Like you said, you can make an argument and it's hard to argue that he's a top 20 player sure he does have the best handles in the game but is it worth it like from a headache standpoint I just couldn't because I did my Celtics did and it was such a headache that I was actually happy when the Kyrie Irving experience ended. I don't know how Brooklyn's going to feel because if they don't win a title with Kyrie, would you just say this whole thing was a failure? So this is the interesting part. We just talked about, I'll talk about the Celtics part first, but yes, the Boston Celtics did not want to put up with the Kyrie Irving headache anymore. And literally everyone in the organization got fired because they let Kyrie Irving walk out the door. I know Brad Stevens is now yeah. like elevated to general Actually, manager. that's a fun thing 
thing you brought up there. Yes, that's been a popular conversation in Celtics Twitter ever since. I know Ainge just accepted a position with, uh, I believe, Utah, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Danny Ainge is completing the holy trinity of white basketball, going from Phoenix to Boston to Utah. A lot of people assumed that Danny Ainge got fired, but they thought it was like a mutual kind of parting away. It was the kind way of firing. Yeah, him. it was that like you go off in the thing, but to take a job literally the next season, that, that just says maybe behind By the, the scenes way, it was a lot dirtier. With even more power than he had in Boston, because he's essentially president of basketball operations, second in command below the owner. He has more power in Utah than he had in Boston. The second point I had was the same thing we talked about with Urban Meyer. How much of a headache are you willing to put up with? Because they knew about the Lambeau situation. They were willing to put up with the headache. The staying off the team flight and then getting caught at the bar with the multiple women. Yeah, they were willing to put up with that. And, and because they weren't ready to give up on the experiment, then they were willing to put up with the report this week from Tom Pelissero. They were willing to put up with seven points in the month of December. They were willing to put up with all of that until they weren't willing to put up with it anymore. And so this is the same conversation Brooklyn's having is, yeah, we could not resign Kyrie Irving this offseason and we could not give in to Kyrie Irving's demands and tell him to go home. And also, if we don't win a championship everyone in the organization's getting fired because if kevin durant leaves they have no draft picks for the next seven to eight years and no championship to show for it. And that's the brutal part about all of this is that Kyrie Irving has checkmated the organization because they can't trade him for even Ben Simmons at this point, which if you want to cut your losses might be a fine trade for the Brooklyn Nets. Like you can't even do that. And so you just walk away and you're like, damn, we signed up for this. We've been checkmated and this is what it takes to be great in the NBA is turn the entire keys to your franchise over to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You lose, sir. Good day. Will you want action there? Kyrie Irving, he's definitely got them by the balls. That's for sure at this one. He's got them by the cojones there. And I didn't think he had that leverage and I would have been wrong because it looks like Brooklyn just folded. It looks like they just folded to Kyrie Irving and they're going to let him come be a part-time player. I didn't think it would work, but it did. Kyrie ended up checkmating the organization. Apparently Kyrie Irving, with the help of Kevin Durant and willingness to burn all the bridges of his good name, has enough leverage to get exactly what he wants. And you know what? Good on you, Kyrie Irving. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clap my hands to that. Good on you for being willing to use your leverage because corporate Russell Wilson over there in the NFL, he folded as soon as he had a chance to execute his leverage. And he had a quote this week that made me upset that he's like, Derek Jeter played for one team his entire career. Michael Jordan, even though he didn't, played with one team his entire career. I would like to be one of those athletes who played with one team their entire career. He wasn't willing to use all his leverage. And Kyrie Irving was. And Kyrie Irving got exactly what Kyrie Irving wanted. But Russ is more, a little bit more unique. He literally gave his agent a list and said, hey, go put this to the media. That is fair. He is executing stuff behind the scenes, but also publicly, he's not saying things that suggest other than sunshines and rainbows going on in Seattle. Even if it's not yeah. true behind the scenes, he's trying to front face that he's still 
still corporate Russell Wilson, face of Alaska Airlines, face of Bose headphones, guy doing GQ articles, married to Sierra with millions of Instagram followers. Speaking of OG kind of broadcasters, idols of mine here, Dan Patrick was the one that kicked off all that Russell Wilson discussion. Dan Patrick just gets the best interviews. I'm convinced that news cycles are made because of Dan Patrick, because he also had the Scottie Pippen thing just a couple months ago when Scottie Pippen just started burning every bridge in sight. I'm sure the London Bridge is on watch out alerts because Scottie Pippen is just burning everything in sight there. I have to rehash (laughs) that story, but Dan Patrick, one of the greats. If I had a tier rank him, I, I'd put, probably put S tier. I want to say- Dan like, Patrick's not afraid to ask the hard questions. Lo- no, love D. Not at all. Uh, I think Jim Rome, I like, he went to CBS and then just kind of disappeared, which is the bummer part of it. Jim Rome just kind of aged out a little bit. Like Jim Rome was cool in the 90s and some part in the 2000s. And sometimes that just happens. He's I in think when he just lost now. the When he lost the mothership, as they call it, he just didn't have that same appeal. Like Rich Eisen, the fact he was able to make himself just a brand. Now he's just Rich Eisen. Literally, it's like those two- old school ESPN anchors, Dan and Rich, Dan and Rich. You're Did seeing some of that now with like, like a um, reunion? You're, you're seeing, oh, they, I think they've done some of that stuff. Cause they're, I think Rich Eisen's show is on Peacock. So I think they're cool there, but uh, you kind of see that now with Pat McAfee and Dan Lebetard kind of doing the same thing where it's like, they carry their audiences after leaving the mothership or I guess in McAfee's case, leaving Barstool, which is, you know, similarly in that case, it's interesting to see those pivots as, as they also conquer the podcast sphere. F- that we inhibit a small part of shout out to pat mcafee really paving that road there with his uh what is it 100 million dollar fan duel deal 100 million that he there. This week. dan levitard got 60 million over three years like it is a great time to be those guys as leaving the mothership and still being able to keep your audience you know what we're giving flowers to some of the greats in broadcasting how about some flowers to Dickie V? I saw him out there at one of the games uh, this past week. The fact that he's battling cancer and still out there performing his heart out. That's awesome right there. I, I, I don't think we've given that headline any love this sports season. So Dickie V, keep doing what you're doing, babe. I'm we glad people are, are allowing Dickie V to age more gracefully because I've seen the internet comments on Dickie V and they can be quite cruel to legends. The same isn't, thing happens to Lee Corso. I mean, isn't that just the way it goes, man? Like if you're just putting yourself out there, there's someone that hates you. You can't yeah, be everything but- to everyone, right? You can't be everything to everyone, I think is a good lesson to learn because to some, I'm a Chiefs hater. To some, I'm a Chiefs supporter. It really depends on the weekly cycle. That's the funny part also is that in all of the chaos, that's happened this week we skipped over maybe the best nfl game of the entire season that happened yesterday (laughs) i'll be honest i didn't watch it one bit i was in the theaters i was watching spider-man i was content i'm a spoiler dealer if anyone wants to hit me up behind the scenes i got those good spoilers i got those good good uh go ahead actively seeking out spoilers who is who's the person who's actively not just this psychopath right here i'll be honest Literally a day before like the movie dropped, I was up there. YouTube kept dropping clips. I kept clicking on them. I don't care. I, I still like the experience of things. And when I walked into the theaters and certain things that happened that I won't say on this podcast happened, the theater was electric. I could feel electricity in the air. I've, and- I've heard very good things about it. That means this might have to be, and this is true, the first Marvel movie I have ever watched. See, now that's a problem there. Just because there's so much in it that I feel if you didn't watch a 
least there's there's at least a list of like required viewing i think that you would have to watch prior to it just because you won't really get those make fun of it (laughs) see you just won't get those same emotional beats at this point i'm not gonna watch marvel movies because it's a personality trait of mine the fact that i haven't seen it is better as a conversation starter than actually spending 28 hours watching all the marvel movies so at this point i think i'm just gonna stick to it on principle and not watch any marvel movies such a hipster take like it's too mainstream man it's too mainstream yeah no i i like to i like to go the other way there's a few things i have on this like never having taco bell or never watching forrest gump or things like that huh <laughs> I, i'm just like trying to take that one all in like here's my thing i eat a ungodly amount of taco bell relative to other fast food restaurants i don't know what it is it's cheap it's convenient it's better than a hamburger every day i grew up in san diego man the street corners are paved with taco shops there's there's no need for taco bell there but i'm looking for quick easy there's i want to be like that disgusting filthy human being that i am whenever i eat at taco bell that's what jack in the box is for oh god no i see like i have standards man come on <laughs> that's a you're what you're describing right there is why they created jack in the box <laughs> that should be their slogan jack in the box i want to be the filthy disgusting human being that i am jack in the box really leans into it too the fact they literally have a mill called the munchie mill they know what they're doing they're not even trying oh, to absolutely. hide what they're doing with that they, it's absolutely. literally a marketing ploy for them but you know you know what a restaurant this is my hot take of the day gets way too much hate Arby's. I think Arby's gets way too much hate, man. There, there wasn't many Arby's over here in California. I had, I had it one time when I was a kid, but I, th- I think the closest Arby's to me is like forty miles away. So I'm just saying, get you know, roast beef and cheddar. It's fine. It's okay. It's not roast beef. I put roast beef in air quotes on that because the more meat you add to a sandwich at a fast food place, the more dangerous game you're playing. They sell a thing called Meat Mountain. It's on their secret menu. One day. I will conquer this beast. I got in and out over here. I don't need Arby's. I'm going to break this man's heart here. in and outs overrated. I kind of agree with you. Okay. My I only thing on it is on just that. coming from New Mexico, obviously we don't have an in and out And every single time I have a friend travel out of town, they go to in and out First Facebook post. Oh, guess what, guys? I'm in in and out Ha, ha, ha. Animal style, monster style, whatever. Guys, it, it's fine. It's a good burger. I'm not saying it's a bad burger. It's a good burger. It's just not the best damn burger I think you could ever possibly get. I'm with you, too. It's For fine. For the price, it's fine, too. I'll say that for the price. Fries? Uh, I think fries are a weak point for In-N-Out. I think that's where they really hit their detriment. I agree too. Like people say the McDonald's fries are really good. I, I disagree on that one too. But yeah, In-N-Out fries are not great. I'm also keeps, a person who, if, yeah, I, I think, if I don't have to get fries, I won't order fries at restaurants. I think with McDonald's, it's mostly how well salted they are, how well evenly distributed the salt is for it. And they're kind of like just easy to just kind of like take down like in buckets, you know? Like the fact that now they're selling you're ordering, it. you're showing up to McDonald's with like a pail. Like you're showing up with just like a bucket and saying, Hey man, I got to lean into this. The YouTube comments keep coming after my weight. Come on guys. It's 2021. You're body shaming. Come on for shame for, I like shame. this idea. You're just bringing like buckets, like, uh, like the offensive linemen that have to carry the buckets on their weight like that. Yours are just filled with fries as you do yeah. your workouts. Can I get a desk full of McFlurry? Can I get a tank full of soda? <laughs> this is like how seven 11 during free Slurpee day, used to have bring your own container day and then one person brought a trash can and then they weren't doing that anymore this is why we're not allowed to have nice things is because when people get free slurpee cups they bring trash cans and when people get to vote in the all-star game they vote alex caruso so (laughs) this is why we're not allowed to have 
nice things anymore. I mean, I'm still shocked as an adult of this day that 7-Eleven still has the double gulp because part of my growing up, part of like my childhood was when McDonald's officially got rid of the supersize back when that supersize me documentary came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember you used to be able to go to KFC and you literally could order a gallon of soda, like literally something like with a diameter. Obviously this is audio only, so I can't even exemplify this, but look up like KFC's like gallon size drink. I'm sure you'll see what pops up and you will be amazed. Yeah, think think of it like one of those Gatorade coolers that's on the sidelines of football games. Like that's how much we're talking about. Yeah, literally a a two liter of Coke. You, You just literally drank a two liter of Coke. Put that in perspective. You'd probably be better off doing legitimate Coke. Yeah, no, you're probably right. That'd be actually a fun game. What would have more long-term effects? Actually, I think you're probably right. I think I think cocaine would have worse effects than drinking a two-liter soda every day from KFC. I mean, the amount of caffeine in sugar would probably be somewhat equivalent to even the most minute amount. I'm not saying a Charlie Sheen amount. I'm the Charlie Sheen amount is probably what you're gaining in that soda container there. <laughs> What's 70% of the Charlie Sheen? Is that, uh, what's what's the comedian, John Mulaney? Is that 70% of Charlie Sheen? I think that's about what you're getting there. I'm trying to think of comedians that I associate with, uh, you know, a little bit of the white girl, but uh, unfortunately most of them are dead. So probably not great examples. Yeah, no, no, no making, uh, what is it? Is it the Farley brother? I think, I think that- Sam Kinison was also another famous one. Yeah, no, joking about drug issues is not good, people. If you're listening to this and and you need help, please seek the help that you need. We, we don't want to joke about addiction and drugs here, of course, on this podcast. But also don't seek the help of a gallon of soda from your local 7-Eleven. Now, start with cigarettes. Cigarettes are, are an easy transition. It doesn't have to be double gulps from 7-Eleven or being the filthy, disgusting animal who walks into Jack in the Box. Like, Or you could just be an absolute douchebag. Instead of going cigarettes, let's just start hitting that jewels, guys. Let's hit that vape. Let's go. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the person who dumps on people for jeweling. I, I, I don't think it's actually that weird. Well, like, the only thing I, I will like praise it for is the fact that I get a little bit of a name pun built in there. You know, I see jewels, what you did jewels. There. Yeah. yeah I, I see what you did there. I see one jewels that's not gonna let you down. Finger guns if, for, if you didn't catch for, that Yeah, on for the people who medium. can't see this right now, Juju just did something even douchier than hitting a jewel, which is hitting the finger guns at the screen and making sound effects for said finger guns like he's that mascot for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Hey, Gabriel Iglesias, George Lopez, they said it back in the day. Hispanics, we talk with sound effects. That's how it goes. Yeah, but that's, I feel like that's an exclusive white people thing. I feel like white people do the finger guns. Well, Old the finger white gun, people. I, I guess I kind of stole that from Shooter McGavin. Shooter. I, I think that's a, I think that's a movie character. I'm disappointed, honestly. <laughs> I, I just, I'm disgusted. That's, it's, I don't know. I can't tell you what movie, but I think that's a movie character. Is it, is it the, is it the Happy Gilmore? Is that who it is? Yes, you are okay. correct. Come on. It's at least a sports movie guy. Come on. I've, I've never seen Happy Gilmore, but the name the name rings a bell, I think, because they were celebrating Happy Gilmore a couple years ago. All right. We're getting distracted here. All right. Let's get into our NFL preview here. You picked up another game on me because we disagreed on the Cardinals game and Kyler Murray didn't show up for a big spot and Cardinals let me down because the Cardinals. Why, guys? Why? The Cardinals let you down, except when you pick the 49ers. Right. And the Cardinals don't. Right. Like, it, it's just like they got it out against me here. They got it out against me. And I'm, I'm just disgusted in this. Come on. Guys. I, th- I think that segment we just did also was our Chargers Chiefs recap. I think that's what we just did right there was recapping the Chargers Chiefs game. Well, we were talking about like fast food burgers and that kind of relates 
relates back to Andy Reid. I mean, in a way. So there yeah, is that. Sure. Yeah. He would, he would you endorse can, you it. can make that joke. I can't make that joke. That's true. I got a little bit of a little bit around the belly here. And I did say I eat an abnormal amount of Taco Bell. So that kind of adds up as well. Favorite, <laughs> My favorite line of the entire podcast is the slogan. I'm going to make this into an edit after this. Jack in the box. Let me be the filthy, disgusting animal that I am. <laughs> That, that that is literally a clippable moment. I always struggle to find the right clips for a podcast, and that, that's definitely one of the clips up there. That's up there with your Purdue take that was a good clip back in the day. Yeah, that one and me hating on the Toronto Raptors and Bryce Young because apparently the internet really doesn't like that. Yeah, just those little lines that they could put, pick apart. It's funny, like even when you could praise someone's team, sometimes they'll stick on one line, like the first game that we'll actually talk about here today, because. We had a lot of success talking about the Miami Dolphins versus one New York team. So guess what? We're going to do it again. Miami Dolphins, New York Jets, AFC East matchup. As you know, the Miami Dolphins, they went into the bye week streaking on one of the highest NFL winning streaks going in. And they are on the cusp of being somewhat playoff relevant because their end of the year schedule breaks down a little something like this. Obviously week 15, they get the New York Jets. We'll preview this game here. The next week, they get the Saints. The next week after that, they get the Titans. The next week after that, they get the Patriots in Miami, and we kind of know how that game script has played out in the past. But as it turns out for the New York Jets here, Brian Flores, Tua, they've been getting this team together. They've been getting things going. One major change that, as I talked about, commenters getting a little upset over irrational things in the past. Mike Kosicki is not the target leader. Is in fact the rookie, Jalen Waddle, as Jalen Waddle and Tua. Wise draft pick there because their connection from Alabama has rolled over to the pros. In fact, Jalen Waddle's making a low-key case for offensive rookie of the year, somewhat behind the scenes as we kind of close towards this end he'll have to catch up with jamar chase out there in cincinnati for that position or mac jones as well too depending on how the rest of the season plays out miami going into this game is a nine and a half point favorite is there any reason that we should doubt them in this game kyle yeah, 20 years of Dolphins football suggests we should doubt them in this game because the Dolphins, the scariest version of the Dolphins is the Dolphins with expectations. Worse than the Dolphins who are have not won a playoff game since 2000 or the Dolphins that have only made the playoffs twice in the last 15 years is the Dolphins with expectations. The Miami Dolphins, by the way, in 13 of their last 14 seasons have finished between either 6 and 10 wins. It is pretty remarkable that they have done that every single year. But but I will say Jalen Waddle's not going to win rookie of the year, but the only reason is because he had such a slow start to the season. He was looking like Jarvis Landry a bit before in the last three games Jalen Waddle has played. So that's the Jets, the Panthers and the Giants. Understandably, not great teams, but Miami Dolphins have played a lot of not great teams as of recently. In those games, he has walked away with 320 receiving yards and a whopping 26 receptions for one Jalen Waddle. Uh, makes my fantasy team very happy because I also have had Jalen Waddle buried on my bench the entire season. And now I can slide him in as, you know, Hollywood Brown starts to fall off. Would you say he waddled into your starting lineup? You, you could say something like that. You could say, you could say something like that as see, I the do great part is old... this is a video segment on these game previews here. So they can actually see my sound effects in my finger guns and, <laughs> and they can see my Watch the full podcast guys. Yes. They can see my eye roll at that, that lazy joke right there. Just absolutely lazy. There's not a ton of like serious analysis I can give at this point. We talked a little bit in the urban Meyer segment about the jets. And uh, if you check out Friday's episode of take it easy, we did uh, about 20 minutes on the New York jets because the Jets have not set up Zach Wilson well to succeed this year. They have one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. 
well. Defense is ranked 25th in DVOA, I believe, right now. I haven't checked for this week, so those numbers might have changed since last week. It's not been great for the Jets, but again, they have their first round pick, which is right now would be number three. They have the Seahawks pick, which right now would be number eight in the draft. They have the eighth most cap space in the NFL going into next offseason, and they can create even more if they cut C.J. Mosley. So I just want to to throw out here that uh, a Jets helmet does exist. I do indeed have this Jets helmet in my repertoire. We haven't had any chance to bring it out this year. I would just like to, to show for the visual audience that indeed a Jets helmet does exist. Did you not uh, as pick I them picked... against the Falcons in our London preview? Did I do that? That is unfortunate if I did. I regret making that decision if I did pick the Jets, but I just want to show them that it exists. And then I, I will proceed by picking the Miami Dolphins, the greatest football team who run the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. <laughs> See, you know you're doing well if you have your own theme song. If you have your own theme song, you're doing okay. And hey, if they get the theme song, by the way, that also was remixed by T-Pain in 2008, and and the Dolphins have not won a playoff game since then. Hey, there you go, guys. You're doing pretty well. And you'll be 7-7 and after this weekend, and we'll see how you close it out there. The one thing, like I said, that goes in Miami's favor is they do have this interesting end-of-the-year schedule in which you can make a case that they could win the remaining three games it would be one of the most remarkable things in nfl history considering this team started the season one in seven on a seven game losing streak after barely winning their week one game on a damian harris fumble and now they've just kind of like rattled off consecutive win after consecutive win here and they're not welling you like you said it's a lot of running game they're running is a little bit banged up heading into here they're talking about bringing malcolm brown off the ir heading into this one how much of a plus that is for him in this lineup well fantasy take i mean the jets are one of the worst defenses against fantasy running backs there. So Malcolm Brown might actually be a immediate start there. Does Miles um, Gaskin have COVID? Is that something that I remember? From I believe that that's another one. I mean, uh, obviously the COVID issues that have affected multiple teams, Miles Gaskin's just one of seemingly close to hundreds of players that have been affected by it this week. I believe you are correct in that analysis there. And in which case he'll probably fall into that category of players that need multiple negative tests in order to play. Uh, update. So as of today, Gaskin and uh, Salvan Ahmed have been removed from the COVID list. They have gotten out of protocol. Perfect. Well then plug them into your lineup because the Jets defense, these guys stink. And that's probably one of the biggest indictments on Robert Sala. Yes, the Jets, they don't exactly have a team of killers out there, but Robert Sala, of course, is a defensive coordinator who has turned more into a CEO head coach because he hired his own defensive coordinator, which is a little bit of an odd decision when you think about who should be the defensive play caller for the team moving forward. And we literally talked about this earlier in the podcast. So I definitely recommend you guys check out the full version of the podcast here. It is tough whenever you bring in a defensive-minded head coach at this point in time because of the constant string of having to bring in offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator, whether they succeed or fail, because whether they decide to say that Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur, whatever, the LaFleur younger brother (laughs) was a success or failure, he's probably not going to be in New York too much longer. If he has any kind of success, you know he's going to get that instant McVeigh shanahan LaFleur bump for a head coaching position. If he continues to fail, he won't be on this New York Jets team too much longer. And that means a new offensive coordinator and another offensive coordinator and another offensive coordinator after that. You could be Alex Smith, six coordinators in six years. And I don't think any quarterback, certainly a young developed quarterback like Zach Wilson coming out of BYU when he was somewhat of a raw 
talent is really going to be one that can appreciate that. Uh, one thing I'll say in the Jets' favor, the Jets beating you is very unlikely. The Jets embarrassing you is very unlikely. There's never a 0% chance. Hang on to that one, New York. I will say before we walk out, one fun Dolphins stat is that during the 1-7 and seven stretch, the Miami Dolphins averaged allowing 25 points per game in the five games since uh, against not great opponents and the Baltimore Ravens. They did beat the Ravens in there, but not great opponents other than the Ravens, allowing 12 points per game in the win streak since then. It is the second best change in the NFL from weeks one through eight through the next five weeks. The only team that has a better improvement in points per game, the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, and that wraps up that preview. Let's move on to the next game. Let's talk about this one just because, again, another game that is marred by this COVID situation that has affected the NFL. And we were debating whether or not we even wanted to put this one on the docket here. Washington, Eagles, this is, game has been moved to Tuesday night as we have Tuesday night football back in our lives, guys. Uh, the 6-7 and seven Washington football team will go against the 6-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles coming off their bye week. Philadelphia is currently an eight-point favorite going into it. With that said, most of the COVID situation has affected Washington, and that's why this line continues to move up and up and up, as you noted before we started recording on this podcast, Kyle. In particular, the fact that Washington might not even be able to claim that they are the Washington fighting Taylor Heineke's as Taylor Heineke might not suit up. Kyle Allen, I guess, put me in, coach. Kyle Allen has actually won games in the NFL before, so there is that. He's not an incompetent backup. He's just certainly not an exciting one. Kyle, I'm going to defer to you here. Any reason to disagree with Vegas? So there are three reasons uh, why I am picking the Philadelphia Eagles to win this week's game. One, I've been saying for the past four weeks that the Washington football team were frauds. We came on the podcast last week and talked about Cowboys versus Washington. When you said Washington's been a playoff team for two weeks, I'm like, fair enough. They have been a playoff team with a four-game win streak. That four-game win streak came from three turnovers against Tom Brady. Undoubtedly, great win, but a, a random weird win that happens. Like, we were all stunned when Washington beat Tampa Bay that one week. Uh, and then it was against three teams that I think combined had like a, a 330 win percentage or something like that. Like is an easy run there. So one, I've been saying Washington has been frauds for a while. Uh, number two, uh, I think that losing 20 players to your team from COVID, even though some of them are about to come back, probably makes your team worse, especially when before the COVID situation, the Eagles were still three or four point favorites, according to Vegas. And number three is that these wonderful helmets that you've been seeing all season on our uh, analysis here are, are from 2012. And so even if I wanted to pick the Washington racial slurs, I would not be able to show you the helmet of the Washington racial slurs because that helmet is the old logo for Washington that I hate having to look at every single time I look at my helmets repertoire. It's all sitting right next to me. I'm looking at the Washington one now, and I hate that it's still there. I want to toss it away because I will have no use for it anymore. But I guess that one's kind of just a reason I wanted to throw in there. But the Philadelphia Eagles are probably going to win. Jalen Hurts is back this week. That's pretty good for them. Are the Eagles going to get the seventh seed in the NFC? They just might. Is it weird that they're going to get that? Absolutely. Considering I thought they might be a tanking team at the start of the season, but good on Philadelphia. They've been remarkably lucky in one possession games this year, and they are a puncher's chance away from making it to the playoffs. Similarly to the Miami Dolphins, even though I will give Philadelphia 
Philadelphia better odds to make the playoffs than the Miami Dolphins. Miami's got a real, real long shot to make the playoffs, but the Eagles, you can actually start to construct a path even without winning every single game the rest of the season. Well, heading into last week's games, Washington had a slightly better chance than the Eagles. They had a 51% chance of making the playoffs where the Eagles had a 36% chance, according to sports track there. Going into this game, I, I guess it's just, you know, come on, it is what it is. Washington's just missing uh, the core of their team here. The fact that Taylor Heineke, he's not great. He's not like a huge missing piece, but he's definitely been the continuity starter throughout the year as his teams continue to improve and get better. And you brought up me mentioning Washington being a functional possible playoff team. And obviously there was other sites that tend to agree with me there based off just the percentage of wins that they were giving them and going into the final stretch of games here. I mean, come on, they had two spot chances against the Eagles. They had a chance against the Giants and then another shot at Dallas who we'll see how meaningful that game is as we come to the close of the season. So if they were able to just go two and two in that stretch, given where the NFC East is and given where the current conference is in the number seven seed, certainly it was possible. I mean, it's possible for a lot of teams, unfortunately, to still make that seven seed. You tend to lean, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, that the Saints will probably make that seven seed. So I think Washington had a decent chance, just given that obviously they have a good head coach in Ron Rivera, an adult head coach, a big boy head coach there. They have some talent there. I mean, Antonio Gibson, even though the NFC's leading rusher has kind of been somewhat of a mirage as like the NFC's leading rusher is kind of yeah, average it's, this year. It's really hard to find three Pro Bowl running backs in the NFC this yes. year. But nonetheless, the NFC's leading rusher heading into last week's game. And then Terry McLaurin's a stud. Now it just obviously comes down to quarterback play. And Taylor Heineke has been able to put together four good quarters of football throughout the season. He's been good in spurts, but that's about what you expect from a backup quarterback. Unfortunately, we have a backup of a backup quarterback in this game. I'm oh, we also might have a backup of a backup of a backup. Because yeah. Kyle Allen is technically on the COVID list right now. He's expected to be off the COVID list by tomorrow, so he'll probably play. Can you name the backup quarterback behind Kyle Allen for the Washington football team? You know, part of me wanted it to be Nick Mullins. I just want to see Nick Mullins out there. But so <laughs> Nick Mullins is going to play for the Browns. He's the quarterback for the Browns this week. <laughs> Way to go, Money Mullins. Good to see you out there. <laughs> Nick, Nick Mullins. Case Keenum and Baker both have COVID, so Nick Mullins is going to start for the Browns on the other Tuesday night football game. Play it on me. Is it John Johnson or something at this point? John Johnson would be a good one, even though I think he's a corner for the Cleveland Browns. John Johnson would be perfect. Uh, Kyle Hilton. It is Garrett Gilbert, former Dallas Cowboy who started a Sunday night football game last year. You know, it's a shame it couldn't be Ben DiNucci on the eve of James Madison playing North Dakota State for the FCS title. But I think that's on right now. I think it might be on think, right now. I think I that's a semifinal game. That's I don't on right even, now. I don't care. <laughs> so whatever. It is currently the fourth quarter and North Dakota State is up 20 to 14 on James Madison. It looks like they're about to run out the clock to win the game. So yes, the, the, the rumbling bison of North Dakota State are on their way to the FCS championship. That's what you consider breaking news. Yes. Anyways. <laughs> The game, it, like I said, it, it's just hard to disagree with what it is. Uh, Washington's just beat up at this point. If they came in with their full team, I would give them a legitimate chance. But also adding the fact that the Eagles are coming off bye week, there's just so much in favor of the Eagles. Uh, but uh, have, we are have no fear, Washington fans, because you may be without 22 players and part of your coaching staff. But it does appear Montez Sweat is going to play on Sunday. So congratulations. You get that one victory back because he had COVID last week. So I think he's also an anti-vaxxer, but he 
had COVID last week. So he went through the protocol this week, which means he's going to get to play while all of his teammates are out with COVID. Well, it's good that you could add some relief to Washington fans. I'm sure they were really sweating about Montez Sweat being in there. Two God for two. damn it. He did the finger guns Two again. for two. All right. Damn it. Can we go for another? Can we go for three for three? I'm on a dad joke fire streak right now. All Comedy right. works in threes, so... What's That's the, the best uh, way to do what's it. the next one up? Where are we going next, Kyle? You choose. Uh, I, I want to delay one of these ugly games as long as we can. So let's go to the Saturday game. The 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 one Saturday game that we have here that's actually kind of fun with all the games getting postponed and moved around and just generally being a weak week in the NFL. Uh, let's do Patriots Colts because I'm kind of excited about this game. Is the rivalry back, Chris Ballard? You called this a couple years ago. Is the rivalry back? As now instead of Andrew Luck and uh, Josh McDaniels, Frank Reich, and Carson Wentz are leading your head coach in your quarterback positions. Not exactly where you thought you would be a couple years ago when you made that bold proclamation, but nonetheless, you are in a position to make the playoffs. You do have a seven and six team here. If the season ended today, the Colts would be in. We kind of look and see that ever developing playoff picture. There's several teams that you think could still legitimately make it. Is the AFC South still open? I think that's one of the big things that the Colts need to answer. And neither team has a real advantage in terms of when this game is scheduled as both teams are coming off their bye weeks respectively. When it comes to bye weeks and um, giving coaches advantages, I tend to lean with the veteran coach a little bit more, which in theory would lean in favor of Bill Belichick heading into this game. Obviously, Mac Jones has continued to just get better and better and better throughout the season. And the Colts defense, I, I think is they've started to come together a little bit. That's one thing I've noticed about what's making the Colts better. Obviously, they win whenever Carson Wentz doesn't make a dumb decision. As long as Carson Wentz is making the right decisions, Make the game easy. Jonathan Taylor, good defense. You have an amazing defensive player on the other side with Darius Leonard there. Whatever you could do to shorten the game strip and make it easy. Throw to that big target there and Michael Pittman. Colts have a lot of good things working towards them. And we talked about it earlier, actually. We gave Carson Wentz a little bit of praise, but we did also mention it's a little bit of a roller coaster experience. What do you think going into this game, Kyle? I don't even know if it's a roller coaster. I I just call it the Carson Wentz experience at this point. It's just the Carson Wentz experience. It's chaotic. It's crazy. One time he looks like an above average quarterback and the next time he's throwing two interceptions and the Bucks are having comebacks and he's throwing left-handed passes and he's throwing pick sixes intentionally because then you get the ball back with two minutes left and it's just and then he has two fractured ankles like it's just it's an experience. If we want to do like macro playoff conversations so you and I have gone back and forth on this like you think the AFC is much more open than I think it is because the AFC playoff picture feels pretty set in stone for me. Now, in fairness, the Lamar Jackson injury makes the AFC North just kind of like wonky at this point and weird to figure out. But uh, if the Colts win this game, the Colts are going to make the playoffs. If the Colts beat the Patriots, they are in the playoffs. No questions asked. Uh, I believe they have seven wins right now. So uh, they have the Raiders and Jaguars later on in their schedule. I think they play the Cardinals on Christmas too. So we'll probably talk about the Colts again next week. I got it for you here. So they face the Raiders in Jacksonville to end the year. Again, we've gone back and forth with it, but let me add some context to why we've gone back and forth because we're at this point where it's very easy to look at 
each team's remaining schedule. And I'm just trying to find the wins. I'm just trying to find the wins on every team's schedule with the lock wins we can go here. So the Colts, I see two wins there. The Raiders have given up. Jacksonville, obviously by that point in the season, what even is Jacksonville? Who knows? They might get the Urban Meyer boost. Apparently Vegas changed the line saying in favor. The Jaguars got a couple extra points with Urban being fired. So that's a little bit of a dig there. But either way, by that point of the season, I assume the Jags have given up. I'm saying the Colts could finish two and two. That would put them at a nine and seven record there. And nine and seven, I think it's going to make the playoffs at this point. Uh, Other people that are going to be competing for it, Chargers losing that one to the Chiefs. Their next couple games, they got Houston and Denver. Denver's not going to be a just cakewalk game for them. The Raiders there at the end. So they might have two wins there. I think the Chargers are in based off the math of them having those two wins. Yes. The Broncos, they have a tough road here. They welcome in Cincinnati. This obviously applies to Cincinnati too in their playoffs hopes. That's going to be a big game to watch this weekend as well. They welcome in Cincinnati. Mile high, always a tough environment there. They face the Raiders. Could the Raiders go 0-4 to close out the year? I'm just going to say yes at this point because I'm looking at them. I'm just not looking at the same team that finished 3-0. Yeah, no, Raiders Raiders are not a playoff team. They're and then they close the, out, the Broncos goes out the year with the Chargers again and the Chiefs. The Chiefs obviously have been running over the AFC West. Week 18 game. What does that game mean for the Chiefs? That's a big thing that could affect it. Bengals, they face Baltimore. We'll see how, again, the Lamar Jackson equation affects things. They face the Chiefs, and then they face Cleveland. Cleveland faces the Bengals. They face the Raiders this week, obviously, and the Raiders, that's a whole thing going on for them. Then they have, like, Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh, obviously push them around the last time they played. I don't see easy wins on a lot of these team schedules. I see the wins, at least for the Colts. I see the yeah. pathway opening up. I, it feels pretty clear for me, like the Titans with Derrick Henry won enough games to secure a playoff spot. They're nine and four right now. I think they have the Texans left on the schedule. They'll, they'll get in just by default. Chiefs win the West. Uh, Patriots win the East. Uh, we can wait on the AFC North and see what happens with Lamar's health, as we'll talk about later on. Um, Browns also have Packers. So that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. And then the wild card teams to me are, are Buffalo is going to be the five Colts are going to be the six and either the Chargers or Bengals are going to be the seven. Now, if the Broncos want to just say bleep everyone and just, you know, actually, I don't know why I said bleep. If the Broncos just want to say fuck everyone and beat the Bengals this week and beat the Chargers, like, okay, they can do that. And the Broncos will get to make the playoffs and they'll get absolutely pummeled by the Patriots. Like, okay, if you want to do that, fine. But at the same time, the Colts feel like they've hit stride at the perfect time and their offense can be built around Jonathan Taylor. I'm so fascinated to see how Belichick game plans this game. Do they say we're going to try and take away what Jonathan Taylor does? And if we do that, are we going to dare Carson Wentz to beat you? Can you dare Carson Wentz to beat you? Because we've seen Carson Wentz beat teams before and we've seen Carson Wentz lose when you dare him to beat you. So which Carson Wentz is going to be there? That might change quarter to quarter. Like it's it's really interesting to to see that chess game between Bill Belichick and what the Colts offense is going to try to do around Jonathan Taylor and what might be now that they're healthy, the best offensive line in the NFL. I'm trying so hard to make a pick on this game. Uh, if you're feeling one of these teams real strong, I'll, I'll defer to you here and, and see if you will. I will do the Bill Belichick chess move of let your opponent make the mistake and then let you capitalize on it. So if you're feeling real good about one of these teams, let me hear it. I'm thinking about it. 
And you mentioned, what does Belichick do? What does he do well? He takes away your best asset, which in this case is Jonathan Taylor. And I think he is going to stack the box. And I think he is going to make Carson Wentz have to make those decisions. And yes, Carson Wentz can beat you. And I've been a very big Carson Wentz advocate on this show throughout the season. But if I was to say, who's going to win the turnover battle? Carson Wentz trying to make play hero ball and make some plays down the field? Or Mac Jones, who's just going to be steady Eddie and just get it to the guy in the five-yard flat? It's probably going to be Mac Jones. It's probably going to be the Patriots. The Patriots are probably going to win the turnover battle. And in a game this close, I think it leans Patriots. I think New England wins this game. The the thing that I will give the Colts credit for, and it's the thing that I've been detracting the Patriots on all year, is if you took the top seven teams in the AFC, lined up them on paper, Patriots probably have the worst offense in the NFL. So you're going low upside offense for the New England Patriots, even as Steady Eddie Mac Jones, as you called him, which I like that. Steady Eddie is a, is a good way to describe Mac Jones. Even such, that would mean the Patriots are like banking on a low scoring game where they dominate time of possession against the Colts who literally dominate time of possession against every team that they play. Bill Belichick is really good at taking away your best option, except for the times Bill Belichick doesn't take away your best option. We just kind of forget about those because they're just, you know, they're not as memorable as, oh my gosh, why is A.J. Brown not playing well in this playoff game? Why is DeAndre Hopkins not getting any catches in this playoff game? Like we remember those moments, but we don't remember the ones where it doesn't work out, which is my way of justifying picking the Colts, who I believe are actually favorites in this game so I, I understand picking the Patriots is a very good bet under all these circumstances and yet I like the Indianapolis Colts this is a game I'm willing to toss up and, and play the odds of giving you a game back in the standings if indeed the Patriots do the Patriot thing against the Colts but I'm gonna take Indianapolis this week to win against the Patriots the Colts are in fact two and a half point favorites for the record going into this game it is going to be a good game I think this might be one of the better games of the week like i said another factor in this i lean towards the more experienced coach on situations in which both teams are coming off a bye week i think belichick just has the slight edge over frank reich in that regard even though you would say frank reich did beat him in a super bowl with nick Foles under center so it is possible it's certainly possible there is the pathway there and the greatest offensive line in the history of the nfl let's not forget that and malcolm butler sitting on the sidelines as skip Bayless, a name mentioned earlier in the podcast assumes that belichick sabotaged brady to dun dun dun. (laughs) (laughs) i think it was more matt patricia sabotage Brady in that case, but I think you are correct. Matt Patricia sabotaged his career when he went to Detroit. <laughs> this this is true, but Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia is, I think, back in New England. So he's about one coaching hire away from being the defensive coordinator. Because Dron Mayo is their DC, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Or is it Steve I, Belichick? I think there's no official DC named. I think Steve calls the plays, but it's not. It, it's not it all runs through Bill. Bill's yeah. the greatest defensive Bill. mind in football history. So yeah. probably one it's, of the greatest. It's like fa- Andy Reid thing. Like, yeah, the enemies call the plays but of course Andy Reid has a huge say on the game plan of course like it's it's kind of that thing over and over again where when you say the Chiefs have totally reinvented their offense over the last seven weeks I assume that's Andy Reid and not Eric Bieniemy. not that Eric Bieniemy's is not a very good offensive football mind who should be the head coach of the Jaguars Andy Reid's just a really high bar to hit as greatest offensive mind in the history of football the more I think about that though do you really want to put Jacksonville on Bieniemy? and I feel like that's setting him up to fail 
uh, I don't know. I don't even know if the enemy is like in line for any of these jobs anymore. Like he hasn't gotten it in these cycles. So I assume maybe he can't pick any job he wants. It's yeah. Very confusing. I, you know, I just think about that. I'm like, when we think about like coaches, you know, particularly minority coaches and the jobs they end up going to Todd Bowles going to a Jets team that wasn't that talented or Steve Wilkes going to a Cardinals team that wasn't that talented or Jim yeah. called Van Joseph going to eight the eight season Van Joseph going to the Broncos. You know, like you know you go to these situations and sometimes i don't know jacksonville just literally seems like such david a cully fire. it's just yeah. everything you're what you're describing is just david cully it's like yeah david cully got the texans job he's him and him and davis mills are going to go through two years of purgatory and then just we're going to forget it ever existed well i think this feels like a purgatory game just because i don't know it just kind of stuck in the middle here titan stillers because i assume i know which game you wanted to say for last is that our next game? Yeah, yeah. I read the sure, mind here. Sure. No, Titan did you want Steelers, this game for the last one? We had to do it eventually. We had to get to Titan Steelers at some point. So we might as well get it now because uh Okay. <laughs> I, I will say this this is slowly looking at the rest of the schedule, this is slowly turning into the biggest game on Sunday now because all these games are being moved around and Lamar Jackson also might be out. I advocated for Texans Jags. I would like to put that out here into the <laughs> universe. I advocated for us to talk Texans. Well, that Jags. was not the direct report placement for this game in fairness that was dolphins jets and we had to give a shout out to our miami fan come on the fan base that oddly supported us the most the one that had us ranked on google search i was like okay you know i see you miami dolphins fans we're with it i love that the 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 internet this week created a name for the dolphins fans that are like aggressively pro tua uh that they are now called tuanon i hope tuanon comes and, and invades our comment section on that dolphins and jets preview Oh my God. What a name. That's awesome. In all seriousness here, yes, this does have a lot of playoff ramifications in it. You did mention you think that the Titans may have just officially locked up their position in the AFC South. And I think a lot of it comes down to this weekend because if they could get a win over the Steelers, and obviously we mentioned that the Colts are in a position where they could easily lose that game to the Patriots. That provides the Tennessee enough leverage to officially basically clinch at that point as they have a two-game lead in the standings heading into this one. And they have the tiebreaker in addition having beat the Colts twice. The Steelers, the funny thing about them, they're still not dead. They're still hanging around. It's like that game on Thursday night. You think they're dead? They're really not. I still can't believe that one. I'm so hung up on that one that that game existed. The fact that they were down 29 to zero and just out of nowhere. And the fact that Ben Roethlisberger put one on a string and it should have got caught by Pat Frymuth in triple coverage, but it did not end. Sadly, uh, they revert back to six, six and one heading into this game. The only reason I say they still have a chance is because I look at their end of year schedule. We don't know what's going on long-term with this Lamar injury and how that will affect them. And the Steelers do still have one more head-to-head game against the Ravens, who they beat just as of two weeks ago. Going into Hinesville, that's not an easy game for the Titans. I don't think the Titans are a team that just gets a scholarship going into any game, particularly on the road, especially with the inconsistencies that they've experienced ever since Derrick Henry has left their offense. Now having to rely on Ryan Tannehill, having to rely on a banged up Julio Jones, who they finally got back. AJ Brown, I think is still two weeks away as of this recording. And it really does feel like, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, the Dante Foreman show. So if you have him fantasy, good. And the good old 18 Wheeler, who I thought he was like 38 now and he's like 25 years old apparently wasn't he one of the more famous incidents of a running back tearing 
their Achilles, if I'm not mistaken. He might have been. I I cannot confirm. I nor believe deny he had an opportunity. In fact, I want to say Longhorn, right? Yeah. Yes. No, he's the guy who scored that touchdown against Notre Dame a bunch of years ago that made everyone think he was that Texas was back. Yes, I believe he came in with a lot of buzz, tore his Achilles because I want to say he started with Houston. Either way, not neither here nor there. The point is that's kind of where Tennessee's offense is. They still want to win via the run game, but that's not necessarily how you beat the Steelers. The Steelers still have good pieces on defense that make it hard to run on them. So this is going to come down to a lot of the weight being carried by Ryan Tannehill. And he's reverted a little bit at times to Miami, Ryan Tannehill. But hey, having thrown to Des Westbrook or Des Fitzpatrick or <laughs> NIW or whatever Anthony game they're throwing out there. Practice squad after practice squad. Basically, the tight end season has been defined by injuries. Kyle, you did it to me. Gamesmanship. What are you going in this game? I, I, I want to just do my entire analysis being just throwing out players who are on the Titans team now uh, as their skill position players, because I believe we have a Chester Rogers somewhere in there. Uh, former cult great Chester Rogers is somewhere returning punts for the Titans. I will go to the other side because you, you touched very well on the offense versus defense conversation. I want to touch on the Steelers offense versus the Titans defense, because the thing the Titans have been really good at this year is pass rushing. And and we talked about Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry a lot throughout the early part of the season. They obviously signed Bud Dupree. Um, the Titans have really had injuries kind of decimate the defense that, again, was not very talented to start the season, but was outperforming expectations during that win streak when they were getting pick sixes on Matt Stafford. And that was just enough to win, even as Derrick Henry got injured and even as Julio Jones got injured and they kept winning games. And the defense has gotten relatively healthy. This is the one game miraculous on the entire docket not affected by COVID. Um, it looks like there's like two players for the Steelers and none for the Titans on the COVID list. So thankfully for the Titans, if they got COVID, I could only imagine who they'd be starting this week. Yeah, Titans are already playing down 13 players. So they're already at that disadvantage beforehand. But I think the key for this is blitz package over and over. Like remember that one game on the Thursday night where the Ravens were playing the Dolphins and the Dolphins just blitz seven the entire game oh, on yeah. Lamar Jackson. 35 times blitzing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that strategy would be really effective. I know Dean Pease isn't the defensive coordinator in Tennessee anymore, but I just wanted to say Dean Pease because it's the best name for any coordinator in football. But whoever the defensive coordinator is now for the Tennessee Titans, I, I think uh, the blitz strategy gives me hope for Tennessee in shutting down the Steelers' offense. Uh, on the other side of that, I literally have no confidence confidence at this point in the Tennessee Titans. I have minimal confidence in the Steelers, but against poor defenses, especially poor secondaries, the Pittsburgh Steelers have proven they can still move the ball effectively. Um, the only two times, or sorry, the only three times the Steelers have scored more than 28 points in a football game over the past year plus. So going back to when they were 11 and 0 uh, was the game against the Browns where they were down 28 points. The fourth quarter against the Chargers earlier this year where they scored four touchdowns and the one quarter against the Vikings where they scored four touchdowns. It's the only time the Viking or the Steelers have scored 28 points in a game is when they're down 28 points. So they can move the ball enough against a poor defense of which the Titans have. So I am going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers to win at home against the Tennessee Titans this week. Even though this would get them to seven, six and one, I still don't think the Steelers have a chance 
of making it to the playoffs in the AFC. Although, if you want to keep the 500 streak alive and get to 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, I think that's still in the realm of possibility for Pittsburgh this season. That feels like such an odd record, but it feels like only one that can land with Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. And I have a lot of respect, for, obviously, for Mike Tomlin. It, it just would feel like very appropriate. That would be the record in the first 17-game season of the NFL. We would literally get an 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one team. God, I'm not going to lie. Kind of hate you because... I have to do it too. I'm going with the Steelers as well. I, I just have more faith in them at this point in the season for the reasons, as I mentioned, between how the defense and the offense match up with the Tennessee Titans right now, with how many skill position players the Titans have had to burn throughout the year. I just don't think Ryan Tannehill is that same guy that like we saw when he first came to Tennessee. And I think obviously when you reduce his weapons, he's just not good enough to compensate out for it. He tends to make mistakes and the Steelers will play good enough to burn you. I kind of wonder how that chase Claypool situation is are we going to see him get punished at all like in terms of playing time can the Steelers afford to do that or is it just going to be like well learn from it go out there is it going to be another Antonio Brown situation for them I think the whole thing was getting a little overhyped on the internet I think the internet's just going a little too cuckoo with the Chase Claypool stuff it was but... 14 seconds of game time that they lost I That's know like and, and Chase Claypool more... if you've heard Ryan Clark talk about it and he's very plugged in with the Steelers organization like he was the one who was going after Antonio Brown before it was cool to go after Antonio Brown like he talked about how Chase Claypool like cares about himself way too much and and yeah, a lot of that stuff exists and maybe Claypool plays into some of the stereotypes of a diva wide receiver. I would say it feels similar to the Juju Smith-Schuster stuff, except they're they're going after Claypool for different reasons than Juju Smith-Schuster. But I think this is something that lives on the internet more than it is something that actually bothers the Steelers at this point. I don't think it's seeped over that far on like he needs to be punished because he celebrated a first down and the ball happened to get knocked out of his hands and roll in the wrong direction because if the ball rolls towards the referee they only lose six seconds and we're not talking about this story i, I i'm sure it's probably going to be fine speaking of coordinators that you want to name drop i don't think we've had a chance to name drop matt canada on this podcast at all so <laughs> matt canada let's see what kind of game plan you cook up huh Come on, eh? Matt, is Matt Canada going to get fired still? I know Steelers fans wanted to fire him a few weeks ago, and then they scored a bunch of points against the Bears. The one thing I know that. that's always associated with Matt Canada is that he was the one coordinator that seemed to make Joe Burrow look bad. <laughs> that's true. That is so, a great point. I forgot about that. So that, if there's any things like, is Ben Roethlisberger a dying corpse? Yes. But can he be slightly closer to alive under a different coordinator? Maybe. I don't know. He's not. Ben Roethlisberger's not dying. He's been dead. He's been dead for three years now. He Big looked ben alive on that dead. throw. You got to give him that one. Yes. If he came down with that one, that would have been like one of the greatest moments in NFL history. That entire drive, that entire drive against the Vikings, I'm like, wait, he can throw 15-yard passes? And I'm like, oh, wait, it's the worst secondary in the NFL playing prevent defense. He's just doing practice throws. I know we keep name-dropping Skip on this one. I don't know how that's happened but I thought he had a great point when talking about Ben Roethlisberger yes his arm angle looks screwed up but when he finds like a motion that he's comfortable with in a game he can get it going and that's what it looked like it happened in that game if he could find that rhythm early on and they could get a lead on Tennessee that takes away what Tennessee wants to do in terms of ground and pound win with the run game so that's another point in favor of the Steelers <laughs> heading into this game I would like to say I've just googled who the Tennessee Titans defensive coordinator is everyone listening to this should google 
Shane Bowen. Um, because this man, I thought Arthur Smith was the oldest looking 40 year old in the history of sports. And then I just saw Shane Bowen. This man's Wikipedia photo makes me think that he was born in the, the backwoods of Kentucky in 1955. And apparently he is only 35 years old. Oh my God. He's kind of going for a Ryan Fitzpatrick beard, ain't he? Yeah. Again, I, I think he's younger than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's younger than Ryan Fitzpatrick with a gray beard. And he looks like he was born in the backwoods of Kentucky. <laughs> this is the type of coordinator, though. I want a Mike Rabel coaching staff. If I think yeah. of a Mike Rabel coaching staff, that this is the only type of coordinator I want. A guy that looks like he literally just walked out from the backwoods in Kentucky. Yes. Either him or Dean Pease. Those are, those are Mike Rabel coordinators. I don't even know if that's accurate. I've never been to Kentucky. That's like a state I don't really even think about. So I don't even know if Kentucky has woods. I assume they do, right? Yes. They have okay. that and, and tornadoes. Please support all the good organizations helping Kentucky. I heard about this that. Time. Yes, I agree. If you can send me a good link, I will be more than happy to put that in the podcast description. I have done no research on this. So we're, we're not doing a great job in preparation there. I just wanted to support Kentucky. Not at all. But <laughs> if you know what's going on in Kentucky, we'll put a link in the podcast description for you. Anyway, last game on the schedule. This is the one that I assume you wanted to say for last. It's also another tough one to talk about because we're kind of waiting on one thing to materialize before the game. What is Lamar Jackson's status heading into this game against the Green Bay Packers? Because last thing I'm reading here is Lamar Jackson has a chance to play this week. A chance to play this week. So again, for context, if you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, we are recording here as of 12, 16 a.m. Central Standard Time, Friday to Saturday transition as we head into the weekend. And we still don't know what Lamar Jackson's status is. Doesn't matter though. Doesn't matter heading into this game against the Packers who have been one of the NFL's elite. If you keep up to date with my power rankings at Slumpuster Podcast on IG, I currently have the Packers as my number one team. I put them officially over the Cardinals. I put them officially over the Patriots. Once again, Aaron Rodgers just has an opportunity to just officially declare to the city of Chicago that he owns you. He owns the Bears. He owns everything inside Soldier Field. And he wants you to feel that internally when you go to sleep at night. It's almost up there with um, Tom Brady doing what he does to the Buffalo Bills on a weekly basis. That's still one of or the, the best Kansas City of Chiefs week. to the entire AFC West. because Or um, Russell Wilson to the Niners. Or the Yankees to the Twins. The, the Giants to the Padres or something like that. I don't know. You guys used to beat us back in the day. But again, we're we're getting off track here. Lamar Jackson. Doesn't matter if Lamar plays in this game. Let's start there. Doesn't matter, like from a standpoint, do you favor the Packers in this game regardless? Oh, oh, okay. I'm like, does it matter? I'm like, that's the entire Ravens season. It matters season. from enjoyment. Let's be, <laughs> we know that. Oh, it mat- the, the entire Ravens season hinges on Lamar playing. Uh, if, if you listened to me earlier in the week while Juju was on vacation over on Take It Easy, you would have heard just blind fury at, at the fact this season already felt like a wash for the Ravens because for the second consecutive year in the prime of one of the most talented players in the history of the professional sport of football that two years in the middle of his prime has been decimated by injuries all the way around his team when the Ravens were perfectly healthy they were literally unbeatable like they went 14 and 0 in the regular season after losing the first game of the season trying to figure all their stuff out literally unbeatable when healthy and and we haven't gotten to see that version of the Ravens since and I was so pissed so pissed when it looked like the Lamar Jackson, this wash of a season was going to extend into 2022 for Lamar Jackson. And this might be the beginning of the decline for one of the most talented players we've seen in the NFL over the last decade. I thought the ankle injury was bad. He was being carted into the locker room and I 
was just so angry. And now we find out he's going to be all right. He's going to have a Giannis Antetokounmpo type of recovery. He's going to come out and, and carry the Ravens to the playoffs. And I still am going to take the Green Bay Packers, regardless of whether or not he plays or not. Because yeah. even under the best of circumstances with Lamar healthy as of like before the Cleveland game, they were still at best a second round exit who I really, really would have wanted to watch match up against the New England Patriots in the second round of the playoffs. Because I feel like that would have been such an interesting, interesting playoff matchup. Maybe they could have pulled an upset, gone to the AFC championship and gotten destroyed by the Kansas City Chiefs. Like maybe that was something that could have happened for them. But uh, I, I still, even with that, not so much even like it's against the Baltimore Ravens. It's just the Green Bay Packers are really, really good at football. And, and courtesy of the Rams winning on Monday, they're probably going to again be the number one seed in the NFC. And the Green Bay Packers are just that good at football where we don't know whether Lamar plays or not. And the line is still like five and a half points in favor of Six the and Packers. Half now. Six and a half. Okay. So even more than I thought. So yeah, I, I think if Lamar plays, the Ravens have a chance of pulling an upset, but it would be just that an upset at home against the Packers. But I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and the wonderful Green Bay Packers to win this week. And I'll just get out of the way. I'm taking the Packers because it, I'm not going to take the chance knowing that Lamar might miss this game in general. But even if Lamar played in this game and just fleshing out the analysis here, we know how bad the cornerback situation has turned for the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, Marlon Humphrey's going on IR. Obviously, before the season started, losing a cornerback with their one of their starting quarterbacks as well. This has turned into a nightmare situation in their secondary, and you're facing a nightmare cornerback in their secondary, Marcus Peters. I don't know why the name was escaping me there. Losing Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. They are dangerously thin at that position now, and you give Aaron Rodgers a weakness to exploit. You give Devontae Adams a weakness to exploit. They will make you hurt. And the fact that the Green Bay Packers are also one of those teams that are really good at yards after the catch, I think that they are just a matchup nightmare when it comes to this game, offensively versus defensively. And if it comes down to it and Lamar's out, Tyler Huntley, he looked fine in garbage time against the Browns. I'm not going to read too uh, much into what he was able to do. You call it garbage time, but they were one onside kick recovery away from being Fair. the Cleveland Browns. And that would have been one of the biggest embarrassing upsets of the year had that happened. Embarrassing comeback from behind so obviously yeah. we saw it earlier with the Thursday night game too obviously the Vikings that they would have lost that one they would have been feeling that that pain there but the Browns were able to pull it out Tyler Huntley he's good enough he's like ultimate light version of Lamar Jackson he does similar things but none of those things nearly as well he doesn't have that type of athleticism yes the Packers are a little bit banged up themselves I believe I don't know if it's Zaire Smith or Preston Smith that they're missing going in this game obviously Jair Alexander I think he's still out as well remind me refresh me I yes, believe no? that is correct but I cannot confirm this right now well either way Packers have had a good defense and if they have to face a backup quarterback Add that to just the list of reasons why the Packers should ultimately win this game. Yeah, it, lo it looks like Jair Alexander is still going to be out, although it looks like he is practicing at this point. I don't, I don't know if he's going to play or not. Step in the right direction as these games get a little bit tougher for the Packers. At this point, the Packers are on just kind of cruise control. Yes, they would, of course, like home field advantage, make Tampa Bay have to travel to them, make Dallas or the Cardinals have to travel up to them. But their rest of their schedule, I think who they got? I think they have the Lions one more time in there. Lions. 
Lions. Uh, I think they maybe... had the Vikings one more time. I think they, I think they've done the Vikings twice. And the Browns. At this point. They yep. also faced the Browns as well. They got they got a Browns in there. Yeah, the, the Packers will probably come down to a tiebreaker to decide who gets the one seed. But I think one versus two is semantics. We in terms of like we know the Packers are a really good team. Like it's one more game too. I oh, mean, the buy that, that does change things from that perspective. The buy changes the math of who's going to advance in the playoffs. But I think we know the Packers are a very good team, regardless of what seed they end up being. You had them number one in the power rankings. I respect them. I, I know how good they are. And I obviously, I wish we got a chance to see them versus Tampa in the regular season to kind of gauge how good those teams are against each other to see if it's still about like that same level that we saw last year. But I guess we'll find out in January, right? I feel far. like the Rams game was a really good gauge. I feel like them beating the Rams was a really good gauge of where those teams are. It wasn't like a chaos game where dumb stuff was happening like against the Cardinals. Yes it, and it, no. The only reason I say like no is because obviously Matthew Stafford still had to come up from his like bugaboo. He's obviously going to a team that went to a team that he knew very well in the Packers and you know str- has struggled at at points in his career. The Rams traveling up to Green Bay, that's a place that they lost last year. So the Packers still had the advantage going into that game. I, I believe I selected oh, yeah. them to win. I think you selected them to win. I, I can't Oh yeah, I, I just meant as like we know the Packers are better than the Rams or at least we feel pretty good that the Packers are better than the Rams does that mean they're better than the Bucks? I don't know because I feel like the Packers and Bucks are the two teams that'll make the conference championship in the NFC the Cardinals and the Rams are the two teams that'll lose in the second round to the Bucks and the and the Packers that feels it feels like how the NFC is shaking up in my book and may, maybe this will be like the Cowboys beat the Rams in the wild card and it changes that a little bit or something like that but that'll just be a fun game to watch on wild card weekend and yeah I think that's kind of where things stand there uh by the way if you want the the full list of ravens injuries on ir this year here it is so we have quarterback lamar jackson running back jk dobbins running back justice hill running back gus edwards uh currently hollywood brown is questionable to play but you know it's injury that happens to be there uh potentially future hall of fame offensive tackle ronnie stanley other offensive tackle uh alejandro villanueva also gone for an extended period of time center tristan colin is out on the COVID. 19 list uh right tackle Jawan James out for season with an Achilles injury we go over to the defense Derek Wolf defensive end out for season Ardarius Washington starting safety out for season both of their starting cornerbacks out for season uh Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters being their names linebacker Pernell McPhee out for season Chuck Clark safety out for season for the the uh the <laughs> Baltimore Ravens Nick Boyle questionable to play Calais Campbell doubtful to play starting guard Patrick McCarry questionable to play on Sunday fullback Patrick Ricard questionable to play on Sunday I think I just listed about 14 to 15 of their 22 starters are either out for season doubtful or questionable to play at this point I literally feel like James Franco in that meme as a Niners fan talking to Ravens fans first time that's kind of where it feels like except the problem is for them their generational quarterback happens to be one of those people that are injured and that makes me angry Jimmy Garoppolo has the jawline of a generation the disrespect Fair enough. Does his jawline beat Kevin Stefanski's jawline, though? I don't know. That jawline doesn't lie, and neither do I. This is a fun podcast, and you should probably hit subscribe. This has been no, a long one. No, you missed one. the finger guns. No, <laughs> oh, that was I, the I, dismount. Here, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, finger guns. No, you missed the dismount on the finger guns. Oh.
That would have been so perfect. I got to stick to finish next time. <sighs> Sorry, it's been a marathon. I'm winded. I'm tired. I'm running yeah, on fumes midnight. at this point. I said we had to keep this an hour and a half, Kyle. God damn it. You got me on a Taco Bell tangent. You got me talking about, I don't know, KFC yeah. Buckets, Skip Bayless, Dan Patrick, Hall of Fame commentators, Dickie V. Shout out to you, Dickie V. Kentucky weather problems. This podcast has been off the rails. This podcast has been madness. What are we doing here two and a half hours later? You know what? Doesn't matter how we got here. Doesn't matter how we got to this point. What needs to matter to you is are you subscribed? Did you hit a like on this video? Did you leave a five-star review? Did you check out S on Push Podcast on IG where we got the dankest memes going on the internet thanks to Kyle Ledbetter, moderator of also comical sports memes. You should also check that out. Take it easy podcast as well. This, this podcast was only an hour 45. And uh, in fairness, we can cut the Dean P's part out. We, we don't necessarily need the Dean P's part. If you we don't need to the get Dean P's down. part, okay. But it kind of works with the Matt Canada thing. Anyway, shout out to Canada. Shout out to whoever's listening out there. Shout out to Dean P's over there in Atlanta. And those terrible Falcons who I think are like nine point underdogs against the 49ers this week. GG Talk Sports. Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy. I'm about to go get some Taco Bell. See you next time.